I'm with you 100%. I believe you. I believe that you are. Paper strewn everywhere. Tons of paper around you. Pens, pencils, an abacus, slide rule, ink pot, quill, train monkey. It's been a hell of a week. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. To the Duke and Duchess podcast. I'm using my boobs as a mic stand. Yeah. Yeah. Am I allowed to say boobs? Sure. On the podcast? Not? We are an explicit podcast. <laughs> we it's are. not as explicit as it sounds. No, we try to we try to keep it. No, we don't. We just <laughs> We just don't have enough passion to be like really blue, you know? We're tired. Yeah, I mean We're you know, old too. Cursing's a lot of energy. If you want to maintain Oldish. It, yeah. Like Frank Black style. I don't have <laughs> I don't have that kind of energy. All right. My name is Chad. I am the Duke. And who are you? I'm Liz. Yes, you are. I'm married to the Duke. All day. Every day. All the time. Yep. For years and years and years. It never gets old. I hope not because you're stuck with me. All right. So what are we talking about today? Uh, Today we are talking about Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind. We've been working our way through this book. And today we are talking about... Chapters 77 through 83. Yes, we are. Yep. In mm-hmm. which uh, Quoth takes on a dragon. He does. And uh, it's going to be lots of fun. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are we going to do next week? Uh, next week, we're going to read to the end of the book, chapters 84 through 92. And I think there's a an epilogue or something like that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to finish the book next week. Wow, that'll be good. So that'll be episode nine. And yes. we'll have an episode 10 where we'll, you know, kind of go through and just talk about some of our thoughts in general, wrap things up. We got some other things we're going to put together for that. So, yeah, and predictions. So, I I'm I'm once we get to the end, it'll we can talk about what we think is going to happen next. Um I have some predictions that I don't I don't think will be spoil will spoil um mm-hmm. the next book for you and I I'm I'm excited to hear your thoughts about where you think the next book next book is going to go? So I got thoughts. I, you always have thoughts. I got thoughts. Some of them are relevant. <laughs> All right, um, and let's talk about our spoiler policy because we don't want to assume that people are are tagging along and following along with us every episode. You could have checked in here for episode eight and just episode eight. So what we do is we, in this case, we don't spoil anything uh, up. And except for what we've already covered in the book. So up to chapter 83. Correct, yes. Now, uh, just to be clear, when we talk about other franchises, other things, that spoiler policy may change, but as it relates to Name of the Wind, we are spoiler-free. We are. Now, and I and I feel like we should start warning people that we occasionally throw in other books, Wheel of Time. We talk about Game of Thrones a bit. There may be spoilers. Yeah. Uh, we will try to not spoil things. You've done, um, done a good job of stopping me once or twice when I was about to right, spoil right. something. I, I, I've listened back through the podcast, and I think I think we do a pretty good job of not spoiling those things. 
Now, when we actually get into Game of Thrones and we start talking about A Song of Ice it's and Fire on. stuff, yeah, it's on. full the on. The tinfoil hats come out. Yeah. Spoiler policy goes They're, away. Yep. Mm-hmm. It is on. Full, yeah, not, no holds barred. If we hear if we hear rumors coming from George R. R. Martin's water closet, like we're, we're spoiling them. <laughs> They're coming out. Sweet baritone. Some sonorous <laughs> echoing from the water closet. Say water closet again. Water closet. <laughs> All right. It's funny because it's a toilet. <laughs> this is very professional. Okay. All right. So as you stated here, really, I mean, what this whole section kind of comes down to is quoth slays a dragon yes and we get to see some just some big time hero action stuff finally we see that come out yeah we do um so obviously it's not as simple as all that and we'll break it down and we'll go through it but but the real kind of quick down and dirty is everything that happens you know with the dragon until the dragon's killed and the town is saved and uh, you know, the princess is saved and Luigi gets a golden tooth and I might have gotten, I might have read the wrong chapter, but. Um, Let's stick to chapter 77. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so this is, so when we left the, um, our, our intrepid heroes, Quoth and Denna were sleeping atop the Greystone, hiding from the Dracus. And now we jump back up and they are kind of waking up. Um, the Dracus has wandered off, and they are uh, waking up, and we start off straight into some some uh, erection innuendo. Right. I mean, right, <laughs> right at the top. That jumped out at you, did you? Well, you know, <laughs> I never, I never miss a good boner joke. Um, you know, and so that's really kind of where we begin everything. They're taking a look at the damage, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on there. Uh, they find themselves a scale from the Dracus. Quoth goes on and on in boring details that Denna doesn't care anything about, about the iron content of their bones and and all that stuff. And then uh, while they're kind of cleaning up uh, camp there or figuring out what they're going to do, Quoth spots a fire, smoke from a fire, off in the distance, and they run off to go investigate. Yeah, so that's pretty much kind of an overview of what happens. A couple of things I noticed, this being kind of a reread for me, was um, how many times, so we going back to the Tinker, if you remember, the list of things that the Tinker wanted to give him, and the two things that he turned down were the bottle of strawberry wine, which mm-hmm. in the last chapter came up that he really wished he had that, and the other thing was a length of rope. And so there have now been a couple of instances where Quoth has really needed some rope, and I think in this one, it was just funny that that, that was mentioned, that he, that he make, has to make a, a makeshift rope out of his satchel and kind of dangle um, precariously from that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then later it comes up as well. You know, it's funny. I hadn't, I had not put that together. So that's a good observation. Yeah, I just, I caught that this time through and, and just think that that's funny. I also started thinking this time through, he talks about the lengths of time. And I'm curious as to what, in my mind, a span, he talks about a span. I always thought of that as being like a week, possibly a month. What are your... A span is 11 days. You researched? Is that a thing? A span is an actual thing. 
Tell me. Tell me the stuff. I don't know where that I got that from. Really? Sorry. I, 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 was, I wish I could have given you some <laughs> insightful answer. Some, somewhere I heard read that a span is 11 days. And is that from the book? Yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, okay. That Patrick so, Rothfuss must have mentioned. So somewhere you heard that. Yeah, correct. I just I can't remember where, unfortunately. You know, it would I probably make, heard it on Cast Request. Possibly, possibly. Because I listen to those. Those guys. ladies know what they're talking about. They do. They do know what they're yeah. talking about. Uh, you know, I I look into this at, while remaining as spoiler free as possible, which is not always easy to do. I've been pretty successful so far, but. Um, but uh, but yeah, spans eleven days. That makes sense. I, I mean, that definitely fits in with you know because I remember thinking it was probably a little a, a week or a little bit more. So oh, okay, that's good to know. So they find some scales and the boring kind of anatomy talk, but it also turns out to be important later that we find out that the Dracus's scales have a good bit of iron in them. Mm-hmm, correct. Yeah. So. Even though it just seems like he's kind of blathering to impress Denna, that's important information for later. Well, yeah, and that's I mean, kind of put out. That is what he's doing. Absolutely. But what I, well, another thing that jumped out at me with this chapter was that Denna's pretty smart. Yeah. She makes some good observations. You know, both like right away, they they find the, the Dracus and they see the damage it can cause. He wants to connect it to the Chandrian. He mm-hmm. wants there to be some kind of grand scheme. And so he's looking for a way to do that. And she kind of points out that. Are we talking about when he, when they get to the site with the house and where they find the dead dude? Yes. Because yeah. that's all in this chapter. Yeah, too. it is. Yeah. And so that's kind of the next thing is they, when they go to investigate, um, you know, they stumble onto what looks like a kind of a Breaking Bad scenario. And they have a. They find the mangled corpse of a dude in this house. Right. Uh, and his, quote, illegal, unquote, crossbow, which I found humorous. <laughs> yeah. And um, and they figure out, you know, kind of what's what's going on there as we get into the next, uh, as we kind of get from chapter 77 to 78, they figure out what's going on there. Right. But, well, they sort of, I think it looks like they, they kind of run up into a cave for a while and then they... It's it's such an odd pace. It doesn't follow like an action sequence. Like it doesn't, the action doesn't really build. It's sort of like, oh, they're running from the Dracus and oh, everything's cool. Like, because they're not in real danger, but they are for a little bit. It's just an interest. It's interesting for me. I think it adds to the real feeling of the story. No, no, I agree. Yeah, I mean, that, I tell you, that's one thing you really can't, knock Patrick Rothfuss for is the story feels very real. Like yeah, I at mean, every stage. The heroes they, they go through these like bursts of action and then they just kinda wander around for a little bit. Because that's what a real person would do. Well you and, know? and that's what the real kind of adventurous stuff is often like. It's you know, it's seconds of terror punctuated by hours of standing around with your you know, twiddling your thumbs, you know. Exactly. That's, so eating lunch, whatever. Yeah, you, know, you still got to eat. Eating poison like a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> you, st- you still got to eat, you know. Um, but no, but to your point, I want to get, get back to the point you make. And that is that Quoth is trying everything, you know, in his mind. He's trying to connect everything to the Chandrian. He's seeing connections to the Chandrian that really aren't there. And Denna is the one who points that out she's like you're you're looking for things 
And so you're seeing things you want to see, but the reality is, is that this house doesn't look anything else like the Mothen Farm. The wood's not damaged. The metal's not rusted. There's no, you know, there's no reason to think that this has anything to do with the Chandrian. What is a little bit weird about this whole section and this whole thing with the dragon is that up to this point, you you could look at this section of going out, not that they were hunting a dragon, uh, but at least not initially, but they ended up hunting a dragon. You could look at this whole thing, and in any other story, going and hunting a dragon and killing a dragon, even though it's not really a dragon, and saving a town would be like the climax of the story. But this isn't a dragon in kind of the prototypical sense of what you would think of. They, they didn't go out hunting for it. It just kind of happened. Um, and it doesn't, it has no real direct tie-in to the rest of the story. It's this sort of ancillary thing that kind of pops up in Act 3. You know, and that leads me to believe, I mean, I have some theories about what that might all mean. But up to this point, you're like, you know, we're a couple chapters from the end of the book, and you're like, we're spending an awful lot of time talking about this dragon slash cow slash lizard, and it doesn't connect to anything in the greater plot. Having said that, I enjoyed the hell out of it. But it doesn't seem to relate to the whole. It, it doesn't. And that's, I think that's just the model of storytelling that's being used here, that it's not these tidy arcs. You know, it's this person telling the story of his life, you know, and, and it's even explicitly stated several times. And, and we talked about it in past yeah, we've talked weeks. about it a couple times, yeah. Right, how how he's always saying, yeah, you can look back and see, well, why didn't I realize that or why didn't this happen? That's because I'm not, this isn't a story. This is just what happened. Mm -hmm. So for me, I kind of dig that. Well, and there's, there's good character development in there, don't... And I think that's, yeah. this is just a very character-driven book. So... And we tend to like that. We do. So, so Quoth and Denna go on up to this cave. They think for a minute that, um... This guy's making candy. It's not candy. Or maple. No, it ain't, ain't no candy. It ain't candy. <laughs> Dennis stuck it in her mouth. First taste is free. <laughs> it might be the candy man, but it ain't no candy. No, and you have to, I mean, on one hand, because I was thinking about this today, as I'm reading through this section, and I was thinking about this particular section in particular where... They uncover this camp. They're trying to go through to figure out what it actually is. And then when they figure out it's dinner resin, and I'm just thinking about the whole thing and just kind of going back to the first time I read it. And as I'm reading through it, you know, I'm just kind of taking it at face value. Right. The first time through. And they talk about the pans. You know, and I kind of, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, this is probably some kind of a hideout. Or, you know, maybe a hermit lives here or something. But then they find the the big pans and you're like, and he's like, are they harvesting maple? There are maple trees. You know, I'm like, well, I, get, I mean, okay. You just sort of accept it on the face of it. That seems like what it is, you know. And Denna clearly thought so as well. And I think it seems strange that she would just pick up a chunk of it 
and pop it in her mouth. But on the other hand, as I'm reading through it, it doesn't seem out of place to me. So maybe well, I'm being we, hard on her. And we learn that um, she doesn't know what ophalum is. Yeah. Like she's heard of dinner resin, but doesn't know where it came from. So um, why would she expect it to be? Right. Anything I, I, other than maple candy. Even so. It's still how weird. Long's it, it's weird. I'm sorry. I it can't is. give her a pass on this. How long has that been sitting there? Like, yeah, I don't get why you would find black tarry stuff at the bottom of a pan, even if it does look like a maple syrup operation, and it clearly does. They've got things for stirring it and scraping it. I mean, that's what it looks like. Would you just scoop something up from the bottom of a mysterious pan in a weird cave in the woods and pop it in your mouth? Like, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't. That's that's weird. It's weird. And, and all the intelligence points that Denna racked up for like noticing <laughs> stuff a couple of paragraphs earlier, just they're gone. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I mean, God knows we all act like dumbasses well, sometimes. And that, and it wouldn't that's be what the dumbest say. thing I've ever done for sure. <laughs> yeah, we've, but we've uh, done some stupid stuff, you know, you know for me, Denna started out as a borderline unlikable character as we've discussed. And, uh, yeah, so her doing this, every time I read the book, I'm like, ugh, Denna. <laughs> Damn it, Denna. Well, and the thing about it is, although, it, I mean, it leads to some very interesting situations over these chapters. Right. It's also, it's not really plot, it's not really necessary for the plot. I mean, I would say it's necessary for the character development that we see. And we'll talk about that in future chapters. Because... Okay. Uh, well, and we'll just talk about that in future chapters. But I think a lot of character development came out of that. I mean, I would say there's definitely a lot of character development over this, all these chapters. I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's good stuff in here for that. But I think we see Denna open up because she's high in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. We, we could, see yeah, a different could. side of her. Well, and she definitely lets a couple things slip that I think if she was in her right mind, she probably wouldn't. So, and we'll talk about those during this chapter. So, yeah. So, it's definitely, I, I would say it's not at all plot necessary. It's not like that had to happen for the plot to move forward. But I would agree with you that it definitely facilitated the character development. I mean, you know, maybe the characters would have just developed in a different way. My point being, it's it wasn't, I guess what I was trying to say is that I want to kind of give Patrick Rothfuss credit for saying, okay, this is kind of how it, it happened and people make brilliant decisions and they make stupid decisions all in the span of a short period of time, you know, and he wasn't doing it. When somebody makes a dumb decision, I guess this is where I'm trying to go. Somebody makes a dumb decision simply because it's necessary for what has to happen to make the plot move forward. I consider that cheap writing, but she didn't do that just because it had to happen for the plot to move forward the way it did. That was a legit character development moment, not something that Patrick Rothfuss needed to happen and couldn't think of a better way to make it happen. I, I agree. And I th I don't think it's it was an action that was not in keeping with her character. Agreed. You know, for me, it's when someone acts out of character to do something to make the plot do do another thing, that's what bothers me. Yeah, that 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 agreed. That's another good point when 
when somebody does something stupid because it has to happen for the plot to go forward, or somebody makes a, a decision that's completely out of their normal character so that the plot can develop, you know, those are things that bother us when those happen. It's not and what's happening And when you think here. about Denna, who is, we assume, has a past similar to Kvothe's and has lived on the streets and frequently hungry, you know, who knows? Maybe what her standards of what she'll put in her mouth are a little <laughs> lower than mine. I don't know. Oh, goodness. <laughs> mm, okay. I had something to say there, but what? We'll, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't where you thought it was going to go. Um, all right. So they uncover this. They figure out it's dinner resin. Quoth makes her eat some charcoal. Makes her eat some charcoal. You know, he, you know, takes care of her and kind of walks her through, you know, the scenario until, you know, she's not really in fear anymore. And then they start looking at, I forget what happens first. If they start looking at all the dinner resin and start thinking about, you know, get dollar signs in their eyes. Right. Or if they decide to use it to kill the the Dracus first. It's, I think it's the money first. I, yeah, I took I, and I took pretty careful notes this chapter. And, and yeah, they, they decide to steal the dinner resin first. And then they kind of realize that the Dracus is addicted and he's going to go on a rampage and they have to kill. They're going to have to kill it. Yeah, I thought it was, like I liked when they were talking about the trees being, appearing that they were planted. Like I feel right. like the clues were laid out in a good way. As soon as I realized it was dinner resin, like I immediately thought, well, that's how they're going to kill the dragon. And like that immediately. Oh, that's good. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Um, I mean, as it worked out, that wasn't how they killed the dragon, but. It's actually how they made some big yeah. disaster yeah happen. yeah right um but that was the first thing i thought i was like oh well here you go here's how that's gonna happen um one of the things i liked about the whole scene where they're going through the money and figuring out what they can do with it and and denna's like i'm gonna get a pony you know and and all that was that both you know in his internal dialogue he's going through it and he's thinking okay this could be worth a lot of money I'm not going to, we're not going to go sell it as dinner resin. Right. We're going to find a responsible way to use it, you know, as medicine to give it to an apothecary. So that's kind of going on in his head. And, you know, he's mentioning that this would be worth a fortune. And Denna's like, oh, great. And then she thinks about it for a second. And she says, basically, I don't think I'm comfortable with selling this. I've seen what it does to people. Uh, that was an interesting exchange to me because sh she doesn't know what's going on in his head that he's got a legitimate way of selling this, which is going to yield them significantly less money, but still plenty of money. And she just kind of stands up, even in her drug-addled stupor, and says, well, we can't, we can't do that. you know." Right. And, it, and it shows you a little bit of what her character is like. You know what it does? It does show something about her moral compass, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Because, um, in my opinion, in a few chapters, she does something kind of cruddy. So we'll talk about that later. But crud. There's some crud. There's crud. So, and another thing, I don't know if you picked this up, but it's much talked about amongst the. I don't pick a lot of things up amongst the interwebs. So Denna, right when she's starting to feel it, she's starting to feel the effects of the Denna resin. She's starting to be pretty happy. And she starts talking about Kvothe's eyes. She picks up her magic eight, her magic beach ball. 
You enjoy myself hits hard. Is that that's a reference? I don't get it. <laughs> Was it a good one? No. <laughs> Are you going to explain it to me? No, I'm not going to explain it to you. I was going to leave that out there for other. You don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Um. So anyway, she's starting to feel the effects of the dinner resin. She starts talking about Kvolf's eyes, how they change color. Mm-hmm. And he's just keeping her talking, trying to humor her, you know, keep her happy. And he says, oh, you know, that's um, what the only other person who's ever noticed that was my old teacher. And um, it was his job to be observant. And she says, well, it's my job to notice things about you. I, I did pick up on that. And first time I read it, I didn't really think much of it. I thought it was another it was another line where she is flirting with him and he's not picking up on it and right. we've got so much of that in all these chapters mm-hmm. that it just sort of blended into the mix. And then the second time I read it, I thought this bitch be spying on Quoth. Right? And then I thought uh, I don't know whether or not to take that that literally, I don't know whether to take that that literally. Because I start going through the mental exercise then of saying, okay, is Master Ash acting her to spy on Quoth? And if this is all an attempt to spy on Quoth, it's the most convoluted way of doing it I've ever seen. <laughs> We're going to have a strange wedding and get 30 people killed and... This guy will definitely, like, that just doesn't add up to me. But on the other hand, I can't think of anybody prior to Imre that would ask her to do, because he's just just a random street urchin. You know, she shows up the minute he walks out of Tarbian. She's there. Right. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for me, I feel like it's a possibility that someone, this mysterious patron, who knows, he may have her spying on lots of people. True. But Quoth could be one of the people that he is, tell me what you notice about this one, you know? Um, And it sounds like this guy is obviously super shady and obviously wants her to do- Super shady. Wants her to do things other than play music. You know, he's sending her into situations and then quizzing her. He's setting up weird tests, loyalty tests where people are threatening her. I mean. Well, and it sounds like he does want her to spy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, because she basically says that outright about other things. Right. You know, and bring back what you observe. God, I hope it's not something like she meets Quoth on the way to Imre. They hit it off. She goes on to Analyn. And um, and then she gets approached by like one of Ambrose's people and brought back to Imre just to like, I hope this isn't like a really bad long con from like Ambrose or or somebody like that or. For me, I would not think it would be Ambrose. I think it would be someone who's connected to the bigger picture, to the Amir or the Chandrian. Because we also know that the first thing Quoth did was, in my opinion, draw the attention of the Amir or one of their agents. Because because the first thing he did when he walked into the university was says, was like, I want to study the Chandrian. Show me all your books on the Chandrian. 
Exactly. <sighs> and I mean, if you... Um, so is it tied at, to Master Lauren somehow? I mean, that I feel that Master Lauren is an agent of the Amir. You know, the Amir were known for being super, super secretive. And, yeah. and the Chandrian as well. Super, super secretive. Clearly. Nobody talks about them. Don't Nobody, you dare. Don't you dare. And um, so it, in my mind, anyone who's walking around into the, the biggest collection of, of research and, and books in the world and putting in requests for the Chandrian, I, I feel like there's going to be some kind of system in place where that is going to draw notice. I think you're right because... It definitely appears that there is an active attempt to subvert information or suppress information, rather. Right. So given that, if you're going to go out there and you're going to suppress as much information as you can on the Aimer, the Chandra, and the Singers and deliberately hide that information, you would probably also want to know who's poking around asking questions. The Chandrian clearly want to know who's poking around asking questions, and they have a way of finding out. Obviously. So it, it's just, it's, I'm right there with you. There's clearly something like that going on. I wasn't sure how literal to take that, you know, it's my job to notice things about you. Yeah, and, and I'm not 100% sold, but I would say that I think it's a distinct possibility. Well, I mean, I feel like it's very likely that there is someone in the grander scheme that is keeping an eye on Quoth somehow, whether it's through Denna or Master Lauren or, you know, something else. Well, Somewhat, he, I think he's going to find the Amir eventually and, and they're going to be like, oh, yeah. We know, you know who you. you are. Yeah. Well, again, we've said this about Quoth and Denna's relationship before. They ain't together now. Clearly, a lot of bad feelings went down. So that could be why. I mean, that could be why they're not together anymore. It could be. You know, I never thought of that before, but that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, well, and especially when you consider how much these two knuckleheads keep missing each other's very obvious signals. Right. Would it at all surprise you if they are both madly in love with each other, but because they've both done knucklehead things, they just can't get over stupid crap to be together. Like, it wouldn't shock me, based on what we know about these characters. Right. You know, for them to just basically not be together and angry at each other because they made mistakes and they're stupid. Yeah, I mean, and and in this section we just read, I'll be honest, it was like, so much of that, you know... So much of that will they, won't they, back and forth. This whole section. And anytime Denna would start to really lay down some innuendo, hey, I mean, right before, right when they first walked up to this section where they, before they discovered the body, or it might have been right after they discovered the body, and she's like, you know what? Let's get out of here. There are better things we can do with our time. And then, boom, the Dracus shows. <laughs> like every right. time. You know, you could be looking at the romantic storyline moving forward with these two. The third wheel comes in. The roommate comes back. You know, like, it's just always something, you know? <laughs> so, no, I'm right. Yeah, this section had a ton of that. And just and just them being kind of dumbasses about it. All right, so they go through an exercise after they decide to 
use the dinner resin to, I'm sorry, did I, I cut you off when we were talking no. about the, it's my job. Was that everything or did? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to move on. Chapter okay. 78, poison. Poison. So, so in the beginning of this chapter, the Dracus is having a good time. He's munching down. He is. And, um, and Dennis says something else that we kind of shows us how intelligent she is. And so they're, uh, and that jumped out at me this time. Yeah, you're clearly referencing something I didn't write down in my they're, notes. Um, so they're talking about, um, well, what they're talking about is the square cube ratio, but she's kind of describing yeah. this thing, but she doesn't know what to call it. She doesn't it. have the language to exactly. say it, but she's accurately describing right. how they're going to track. Well, this is, so they're, yeah, so they're like, how do you kill something like that? And right. she says, well, you lure it off a cliff, you know, right. which is a pretty like she immediately has a pretty cunning answer for right. how to kill a five ton lizard. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like, have you done this before? <laughs> you know, what did you do in those six months between Analyn and Emre? <laughs> you know, but they go through the exercise also of trying to figure out how much dinner resin is it going to take to kill this Dracus, you know? And, you know, he goes through and he figures it's a, you know, it's about a hundred times more, about twice as much as Denna took. And then we're going to do that about a hundred times. And so this whole thing and how he puts it all together, then he looks at it and he's like, let's double it, you know? And then, and then I believe they double it again. Yeah. I believe they come up with what both thinks is six times a lethal dose for the Dracus. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And, um, yeah, so they, they come up with this plan, and um, Denna likes Kvul's manly bravado. Yeah. There's lots of flirting. This, yeah, this is, well, this is where it gets really heavy, so. Well, I think when we get into chapter 79, which is called Sweet Talk. Oh, I'm sorry, that's where I was. Right. So I was ahead Oh, of yeah, you. no, you're good. That's where okay. I was ready to go, too. Gotcha, yeah, so. In this chapter, Denna has a good time. She has a great time. <laughs> so this is, you know, Quoth talks about kind of the stages mm-hmm. of the high, the, right. the euphoria, the delirium, the mania and all this stuff. Right. So this is where she's starting to kind of she's starting to be on the downside of this whole thing. And she's, you know, she's complains that she's cold and, and basically they end up under a blanket together you know, and I'm thinking, I mean, on one hand, it was a, it was a very sweet thing because you have to remember when you were 17 and like under a blanket with a boy. And his face is like a kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that was cute. That was cute. <laughs> and, you know, and what that, you know, kind of felt like you weren't doing anything you wanted to, mm-hmm. but you weren't, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm thinking about how she's like, you know, snuggle up behind me. I'm cold, you know, and he cuddles up behind her. And I'm like, there's no way he doesn't have a raging heart on. Like, there's just well, you no know, way. What I'm thinking, what what stuck out for me was um, this one line where he's talking about how she's teasing him. She's flirting with him. She's really kind of stoned. And he says, there are names for people who take advantage of women who are not in full control of themselves. And none of those names will ever rightfully be applied to me. Yeah, he's he's a gentleman. 
And I, I think that that just really was an important moment for his character development that kind of shows who he is. Yeah, he's not going to take advantage of her. No, and yeah, I mean, he's pretty clear about that. I, I'd sort of feel like, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I sort of feel like he kind of had established that ahead of time too. And some other things that he had said, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but but that wasn't shocking to me. But I agree that, you know, it just kind of shows that he wants he wants Denna. He very much wants to be with Denna, but not if it's not the right way. I guess that's kind of where I was right. where I was going. Right. Um and so he's not gonna take advantage of her in this scenario. Well and so and then this is the chapter where she opens up about her past and tells us a few things about herself. Yeah, a couple things about herself. She goes she talks about how she had pneumonia when she was a child and nearly died and and then she also gets she she's at this point I don't think she's thinking clearly and she talks about also what actually happened at the Maltham farm. Yes. Yes indeed. She so, talks about that. Which, you know, Quoth knew or I th- maybe he knew that she was lying at least about her injuries. Right. So he knew that. And I don't know if he thought she was lying about the rest of it, but it seemed very clear to us that you know, the whole got not, and I think we even mentioned it in the last podcast, the whole, there was noise, and then I got knocked out. Like, it was just a little too convenient, right? Right, and Quoth even notices that, okay, but yeah. he doesn't push her for the truth. So Correct. then we find out that her patron was the one who beat her up so that she would avoid suspicion, and that he made her ask him to beat her up, which just shows that this guy is not just sketchy he's a grade a creepster it's a weird scenario because i can see it from two angles one i agree with you that's messed up but on the other hand if you're trying to look at it strictly from a logical perspective he was he's right in that if she shows up as the sole survivor as somebody from out of town there's a likelihood that she's going to get lynched yeah, but that doesn't wash out for me because did someone beat him up? Where the hell did he go? If he had a way to get away... Why didn't he take her? Why didn't he just take her with him? No, good point. Yeah. No, there was no reason for him to send her back to town to be found other than he had obviously had a reason. Yeah, we and that's a good... You know what? I didn't think about that. And we, you're right. He He clearly had a reason and we definitely don't know what that reason was. And she doesn't really pick up on that either because she no. makes that same excuse for him. Oh, well, I would have been hanged if he hadn't done it, but... Well, and what that... So that's that was the part that I hung on. Like, I wasn't thinking so much about the logical part that you highlighted, which is that this guy got away. <laughs> like, if he, if, his, if he was really concerned about her well-being, he would just take her. I didn't even think about that. Right. Um, I was looking at it more from the way that she was kind of justifying it I was looking at it and saying, okay, in an incredibly cold, logical sense, because I wasn't thinking about where you went, there's some degree of justification for what he's saying. But what I did pick up on was that she almost, she almost has like a, a little bit of like a, a beaten wife syndrome. I don't know what else, like I forget the, 
you know Stockholm. Yeah, that. Thank you. I, I couldn't couldn't think of the of the name for it. And I don't want to. Not trying to be insensitive, but she's like the way she's making excuses for him, like it's okay, causes me to question or causes me to wonder if this is not at all the first time she's had to deal with this. Well, and I think she she very strongly hints at that, you know, when Quoth asks her at one point what happened in Annalyn, she says, nothing good, but nothing unexpected either. Mm-hmm. So you definitely get the sense that she has been a victim of, of abuse and trauma yeah. in her past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she doesn't even, like you said, she doesn't even pick up on that. And, you know, you would think she's right there in the middle of it. And she's just like, well, yes, what? I don't know. I came away, especially from this section. And at the end of this section, this is what like cements my dislike of, of Denna Hmm. at the end of it. No, I definitely didn't get that. I mean, we go through like, there's some good parts where then they have the sweet little exchange where she tells him his face is a kitchen and all. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just, let's just go through chronologically okay. and I'll All explain right. my, my problem at the end. So, right, so the snuggle fest gets broken up by the return of the Dracus. Yep. And at this point, Denna is out of it. Like she's collapsed into exhaustion. Right. right. She can't be roused. Um, he carries her or I forget if he carries her or if they walk over to the Greystone before, but whatever. She's kind of passed out in a safe location and then he manages to get the um, the Dracus to eat all the dinner resin. So he shows up at the end of the second set, drops his bean. He's partying on. The Dracus says he's having a good time. He's in the concert grooving. And um, Quoth is wondering, when is this knucklehead going to drop? And basically nothing happens. Right. Nothing happens. Nothing it's not happens. enough. Yeah, I, I mean, from from the behaviors that he lists, I mean, he says it all like maybe the it's experiencing delirium, like, but it's acting no different than it's ever acted, right? By like, it's like it doesn't even phase it. So obviously, six times the lethal dose was not enough. He's built up a tolerance. He's built up a tolerance, and there's another problem because in the town of Traben. There's they're, a big honking fire. Because they're having some sort of harvest party where they're burning their shamble men that chase off the demons, you know, <laughs> and they I, attract No, I didn't think one. of it that way, but that is that is quite funny. Yes, that that was the purpose of it. Yeah. So they, you know, they intend to, you know, intone good spirits and chase away bad spirits. And, you know, they burn the shamble men to chase away demons. But what shows up, but what is to them a demon? <laughs> you know, and Quoth is trying to get there ahead of the Dracus. And and I have to tell you something. Okay. I I was going back through my notes and kind of looking through these chapters this morning. And um I had never really caught how and this this just really tickled me today, how um he he has this kind of dramatic moment where he's like, I'm going to have to kill a dragon. And then he immediately falls down a hill. Yeah. <laughs> and like the almost the exact same thing happened to me the other day. You had to kill a dragon? No. I had to go to 
had to go to middle school parents orientation. Aha. Which is even worse. I know. I don't even think I told you this story. You didn't. Okay. So, well, you knew about the orientation. Our oldest daughter is going to middle school next year. And um, that's a whole nother podcast. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but I had to go to the mo- the parents orientation for uh, for middle school. And, um, you know, I dropped her off at her at the student section and I'm going over to where they have the parent meeting. And um, so I'm walking up to this building and the front of it's kind of glass and the doors are glass so I can see what I'm walking up to. And as I'm like still a bit away, I can see that what I'm walking up to is like about 60 other parents and they're all standing in knots of like four or five people, you know, so as I'm approaching. Worst case scenario. Oh, God. I'm like scanning, I'm scanning, and I can tell that there's nobody there that I know, you know, and so I start like, like social anxiety kicks in, I start panicking, and like immediately my brain is like, what is wrong with me? Why did I wear this shirt? The shirt is so stupid. I'm going to look stupid. I can't go in there. <laughs> and, and so, but it's okay. It was okay. That lasted about two seconds. Okay. But I've, you know, I've worked really hard on myself and like, I have tools to deal with these kinds of things. So I give myself like my little three second pep talk, which is like, I'm like, your shirt is awesome and you're awesome and you're going to be the coolest mom in the room and it's going to be great and you're just going to kill it and come on. So I get myself pumped up. And um, so I watched a TED talk recently about something called power poses. I think I've told you about it. No, you didn't. But oh my gosh. So do we talk anymore? We don't. I don't know. <laughs> So, um, this TED talk was so great. Um, I'm going to, I'll put it, I'll put a link to it on the website. Okay. The week that we put this um, podcast out, the lady's name, I think her name is Ann Cuddy or Amy Cuddy. We'll she's a psychologist out. anyway. So, um, she talks about the study they did on these things called power poses, which are, um, basically, um, poses that take up space so a power pose would be like putting your shoulders back putting your hands on your hips standing everything with your Riker feet apart. ever did yes Riker was the king of power poses but they did a study where they measured people's testosterone levels before and after standing in these positions they didn't tell them what they were doing and mm-hmm. they found that just standing like this or sitting in a, in a, like a spread out um increases your testosterone really and makes you feel more confident so anyway, I'm going up and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm doing a power pose. So I did. I walked up to the door and I like, I like threw it back. Okay. And I like put my head up and I put one hand on my hip and like, I swear it worked. Like I felt, I was like, it worked. I felt more confident. I was like, it's great. I'm the coolest mom in the room. Awesome. But the thing about power poses is they don't increase your hand-eye coordination. So <laughs> I felt so powerful that I thought I would do this like this like thing where I would like flip my keys around my index finger and catch them. Have you ever seen that? Like, oh, yeah. People just go, Whoosh, you know. Okay, but I, I don't have the coordination to do that. And so I totally beamed myself in the face with my own keys. Oh, <laughs> right after i walked in the door welcome to middle school (laughs) like it was it was totally welcome to middle school but it was fine no one noticed all right and uh but that's a good story it was a good story and it made me think of it when quoth 
like fell down the hill toward Trayvon and like kept falling as yeah, well. Yeah. Like he's running, he's being all powerful, and then he just keeps falling down. I and need, we need to go back for a second because I forgot something very important about the situation where he's trying to get Denna roused and he's not able to. So she's kind of mumbling in her in her sleep and she says something about Moteth. Yes, I yeah, I think I wrote and who is Moteth? And I wrote so you know, it's like rolling over sleep and she's like, "Oh, William." You know, and I'm like, "Moteth? Who the fuck is Moteth?" Like that's a name that came out of goddamn nowhere. Well, I mean, considering the fact that we know literally zero about Denna's past, it doesn't surprise me. There's probably lots of names from her true. past that we don't know about. True, true. I got uh, I got a prediction about that later, but we needed to put a pin in that. Awesome. Pin so, placed. Stum- back to stumbling down the hill. He's stumbling down the hill. If he had keys, he would have beamed himself in the face with Right them. in the eye. <laughs> So he gets um, he gets to Traben, uh, and Traben's on fire, and he's running around. He's trying to figure out what to do, but essentially, what happens is that he is able to create, and I—it's not a heat sink, a heat eater, heat eater. There you go. He's able to create a heat eater out of the the water basin. I can't think of the name of it in the town, and that essentially all but puts out the fires in town and then he goes over to the Talon church which he observed has like the largest iron wheel that he's ever seen and i have a prediction about this area and he's able to use the it's the iron scale that he uses right yes that he's able and to and the lodestone and the lodestone to essentially wrench this iron wheel off of the church um, and, you know, through the use of sympathy, fling this, you know, two-ton hunk of iron at the the Dracus and kill it. But in the process of doing that, like every good heroic adventure, he also manages to knock himself cold. Right. So so the hero switch just gets flipped in quoth. You know, as soon as he gets down to the town, he knows exactly what he has to do at all kinds of clicks. And so he he just kind of springs into action hero mode, scrambles on the roofs, and he is able to, um, first of all, get the fires down by making a link between the fire and a piece of shingle with all of the fires and then dousing that. Then he is able to make a link between the Dracus's scale and the lodestone. Basically turning the Dracus into... A giant magnet. A giant magnet. Which is pretty awesome. Pretty wicked. That's pretty awesome. And then it's crushed beneath the symbolic wheel of Talon. Pretty awesome. Yeah, which to the townsfolk, you know, looks a lot more... Has a lot more symbolism, you know, than, than the more practical side. You know, Quoth is 
really just trying to kill the damn thing. Well, and this brings up an interesting theme that I've just noticed this time through, which is... We like themes. uh, We like themes. And I, I really saw it a lot in this chapter, which is the truth behind religion, the truth behind superstition, the fact that this chapter is called Touching Iron. And in the book, you know, the implications of Touching Iron is that that's an action that's always been associated with um, superstition and religion, but also people who were not very educated tend to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people would touch iron to ward off the fae, to ward off the demons or whatever it is that they're afraid of in their part of the world, you know, but it seems like it's, it's spoken of by more educated people as being not something that actually helps something that people with lower education levels do in fact in the previous chapter i think when one of the previous chapters both denies touching iron you know yeah, i when, thought it was a later chapter when he's back in traben but i but either way i don't remember where it is but but i remember him saying that or at some point i think denna is saying you know oh i think yeah it might have been asks yeah. him about what do you think and he, and he says well i'm not sitting here touching iron like yeah, yeah. you know so then this being the title of the chapter was telling for me and then the fact that when Kvulz gets there the people are trying to get into the church because it's probably the safest building in the town, but the doors are locked. Yeah. The fact that then, you know, in the last line of this chapter, he says, you know, if anyone had been watching, they might've thought that some, some mighty God was, you know, casting this wheel onto the, onto the Dracus, but there was nobody there to watch and there wasn't a God anyway. There was only me. Yeah. So, you know, the whole idea of there being a truth, but at the same time, we know that iron, even though in this world at this point, it's considered touching iron to ward off things is considered um, something that's, you know, the, the country bumpkins do. It's yeah. superstition. We know that the Fae are actually real, even though most people don't believe in them, and that iron does hurt them. Yeah. So there is some truth behind the legends, behind the superstitions, and even behind the religions and the beliefs. So it's about like, what is that? What is the, there's a truth behind all of that stuff. And what is it? It's also not coincidental that a big chunk of the early part of the book is talking about the stories of Telu and Selatos and Lan Ray and all these things laying that sort of groundwork, because as I predicted early, that stuff's going to come back in some way. Right. Um, so yeah, but no good good observation. So in chapter eighty one, which is called Pride, basically, Fulth falls off a roof. That's where he again. <laughs> I know this guy's got a problem with the roofs. <laughs> this time he knocks himself out cold, right? And wakes up, and I think he wakes up in chapter chapter eighty one is like a paragraph. Yeah, it's a few paragraphs, it's, and in, in chapter eighty two, Ash and Elm, he wakes up. Feeling like someone hit him with a church. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he cracks himself up. He, he cracks me up. <laughs> I'm easily amused, though. Well, that's why you married me. It's true. <laughs> so another line that popped out at me was he, he wakes up all stiff and he says that moving was a lesson in putative anatomy. <laughs> like, I so relate to that oh he does he does have some good lines yeah he does yeah oh so he wakes up and he looks out of the town i noticed that ash is covering the town a little symbolism there you know it's funny because i picked up on 
the symbolism around Ash in the earlier chapters. I didn't pick up on that, though. It's, it was there. Can I... So, so basically now we're at the section where he goes through town. He is treated as a mysterious kind of hero. He's trying to figure out where Dena is and find Dena is. You know, he's not really concerned so much about what, you know, what the constable says and the innkeeper. He's running around trying to take care of what he needs to take care of, but but they're treating him like he's some sort of mysterious thing. The constable, you know, has questions for him and all this stuff. And then he basically there's one thing that he does that's kind of important at the very end. And then he but then he's basically just waiting to get out of here and go to Imre. And all through this section I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for them I'm waiting for the constable to arrest him. I'm waiting for them to seize him. I'm waiting for something to happen and it just doesn't happen. That's interesting. I, for me reading this, I did not expect. I mean, he he's kind of spectacularly saved the town. Well, let me tell you the reason why. Um because it all hinges on the line where he says, I burned down the town of Traven. Yes. So we know he didn't burn down the town of Traven, at least not yet, unless right. he comes back later and burns down the town of Traven. <laughs> Fuck you, Traven. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he's just drives by, gets off the boat, <laughs> throws down a match, rolls, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and I don't want to rule that out because I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen, but it <laughs> seems to me like that's unlikely to occur. So he says, "Down, you know, I turned burned down the town of Traven. He clearly didn't burn it down. If anything, he saved it. So, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, then he must have been accused of burning down the town of Traven. And so I'm waiting for." them rather than them saying thank you for saving us from this demon i'm waiting for them to be like you asshole you brought this fire breathing demon and now because of you half of our town is burned down and that was what i was expecting to happen and it didn't happen i I mean that's true however my again going back to the theme of the truth behind the stories and my take on it is no, he didn't burn down the town of Traben. But as the years and his legend grew, and people realized, oh, that was the Quoth who was here. Oh, yeah, he burned the t- he brought the Drakus and burned the town. This is one of those story, you know, those early stories about him that got got turned down and and at some point, you know, turned into he burned down the town. Well, you know? you're killing my prediction then. So, were you going to predict that he comes back and burns it down? No, I was not going to predict that he comes back and burns it down. I was going to predict that that he's going to get accused for it anyway. Like hmm. that, you know, whether it be when he the news comes to Imre and the people in the university accuse him of it or, you know, or the story gets told 
differently while he's gone and he can like I, I was predicting that in the short term something's gonna happen that not that the legend's gonna grow over years but like that something is gonna happen here in the next you know week coming weeks where he's gonna get accused of actually burning it down as opposed to saving it that something different's gonna happen that you know maybe master ash shows up and says yeah he wasn't here to save you he brought like somebody twists it on him or mm-hmm. ambrose twists it on him or that something's going to happen that's going to that's going to make that you know heroic event turn into him kind of being an enemy of Traven instead Mm -hmm. so I was just predicting that something like that's going to happen here fairly quickly but it sounds like that's not the case I I mean who knows but that probably people who read the next book that wasn't my impression when first reading it um, at, at all. And I guess because for me, what seemed the most important in this chapter and what seemed to be the whole point of all of this was that he finds out about the vase. And to me, that's the end of the narrative arc. So I could see if maybe you had in your mind that this was a narrative arc about what happens for him no i no i think i just got stuck on that line right that because when there's like a cognitive dissonance there you know between what you see happening on the page and what he tells you you know i burn when he tells you i burned down the town of traven right you think okay burn down he's somehow he's gonna burn down the town of traven Mm -hmm. so and then when you realize what's going on and he doesn't burn down the town of Traven, right. you know, you're like, well, okay, some, something's going on there. Like that just caused me to think, okay, there's something going to happen. Now, the other thing too is that for all of his, at times, arrogance and cockiness and self-confidence, there are a lot of situations too where he really has some pretty piss poor self-esteem almost like a, um there's a phrase for it i'm i'm struggling to find where you know when he does something negative it's not just well you know and i didn't save you know he turns it i guess what i'm trying to say is that rather than saying he burned it down he turns a situation where he doesn't fully rescue traben he does not keep Traben from being 100% unscorched. So instead, he turns it around and says, yeah, I basically burned the town down. It's like a false, it's not like not false modesty. What's the word I'm looking for? Where, you know, if you do something a little bit bad, you're going to amplify it into the worst thing anybody's ever done. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Like there's a phrase for it. I can't think of it right now. So maybe that's more where that was coming from. But it really, I was just stuck on that. I was just stuck on that line. Right. That he said, I burned down the town of Traben. He clearly didn't burn it down. So I'm going through the mental gymnastics of trying to figure out what all that means. Right. I mean, for me, I guess that line comes in the beginning of the book. And he's he's obviously listing all the sort of hyperbolic legends about himself. Good point. You know, and so for me, it didn't bother me. And and I'm sorry if you thought that he was going to get accused. I assume that since you, we've read up to him going back uh, to the university that 
that we were past knowing that he doesn't actually burn the town down. But no, for me, that that part in the beginning is him being like, I've rescued princesses from sleeping barrow kings, like blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. bleed. And now it's about him telling the truth behind all of those stories. No, that's a good that's a good point because he also doesn't really slay a dragon either. Exactly. And I didn't pick up on Exactly. I, that didn't cause me that same bit of concern. So no, that's a good point that it's all the hyperbole that he's just laying on thick from the beginning and now he's going to tell you kind of what really happens. Now it clicks. Right. That makes more sense now. So yeah, so on to what is really kind of the culmination of this whole little arc of chapters that we looked at here. And that is, so he, he puts out before the constable, Hey, um, I need to know what was found at the Mothin farm. Right. You know, if there's anybody who knows, send them by, send them by the inn. And this young girl, like 12, 13 year old girl comes in and proceeds to explain to him how her and some other, uh, boy from, from the community, saw what it was they snuck a peek and it was this urn or vase or something like that that was covered in runes or old language dead languages and several pictures reliefs of the chandrian dun 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 i don't know if I, i counted up the number of people that they um that they referenced on there and it's only five of them i don't know that that means anything i took it that it probably doesn't but um but it's clearly kind of going through and looking at each of the chandrian and it's interesting to me i was thinking about like the different symbols that they all are and i was like you know it seems to me that the chandrian are like different aspects of entropy you know like like one of them is just like you know the destruction of material the other is the absence of light you know, and I, I don't know anything really about the other ones, but I'm thinking, okay, the woman without, you know, any clothing, is she like the destructive power of lust? Like, I, I don't know, but like they embody these different um, aspects of entropy. I like that thought. Was Yeah, I don't know if there's any validity to it, but that's what I was thinking about. But, um, but again, so now we've got two instances of the Chandrian showing up and killing anybody with any knowledge of an event. Mm-hmm. And both of them seem to be basically the same thing, and that is covering up any discoveries, any new information about the Chandrian. That they seem to have a motive that they basically don't want anything beyond children's songs and fairy tale ideas to escape it sort of reminds me of that line that says you know the greatest uh, the greatest thing that the devil ever accomplished was convincing people that he wasn't real yeah and that seems to be what their goal is from what we can tell yeah absolutely and so this is sort of like a huge piece in the puzzle you know this is what quoth set off from tarbian to find was something about them yeah and so we kind of kind of brings this narrative arc to a somewhat resolution for a little bit. I mean, obviously yeah. he's he's it's going to continue. Well, we've discovered 
Now we've got two data points. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, and then this whole trip to Traben and, and the Dracus was sort of a, a side thing as well. And again, we're just sort of learning about the stories that are told about him. But but he was able to accomplish his goal and save the town. And, you know, this is an important moment in his character development. And he pretty much says it outright. If you're looking um, and he says this one other time in the book. Yeah, I was going to point that out. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're looking for the, the the origins of why I became who I am, you can it starts here. Yeah. So and the other time that he mentions this is the time that he was, you know, a homeless child in Tarbian and there's a, a child he, he overhears another child being abused and he doesn't do anything. He just And he says almost verbatim the same thing. Yes. So that was a pretty that's a pretty cool moment for it, me. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just how he handles the little the girl and how he, he helps her through her fear. Well, and it, you know, we talk about we've talked a lot about him and is he a truly good character? Like what, you know, what's his alignment? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, th- I mean, this makes it clear if there were and if there he's was chaotic ever chaotic good, he's clearly chaotic good. You know, he's not chaotic neutral. So. No. Nah. You know, he again, he does have a moral compass. He does want to do good for people. And there are several instances in this in this whole arc. I, I mean, this whole group of chapters. I mean, I think there are several times that you see that, you know, from the way he tr- treats the tinker, you know, to the way he treats Denna when he could have taken advantage of her, uh, to the way he treats this girl, to the fact that he goes through so much effort to save the town of Traben, which, let's be honest, if there was a crazed dragon heading towards Traben and I'm there, mm-hmm. I'm going the other direction. <laughs> Let the town be damned. <laughs> well, and I think we also see it, in, and it's interesting, in the way that he reacts to people who are assholes. So he has zero patience mm-hmm. and does not care no. what will happen to him you know if if you are someone who has a malicious streak or he catches you being nasty or mean to someone who is weaker than you he he will i mean look at the way he's a bully to bullies he's a bully to bullies so the way he he, he handles the the barkeep when he wakes up in the inn and nell comes up and and she looks like a nell and her name is nell yeah and he said she looks like a girl who is constantly flinching because the barkeep is, and then, you know, it turns out she is Nell and the barkeep is a jerk to her and is yelling at her. And he kind of like, he, he takes some pleasure in just like ripping this dude <laughs> apart. I will know? burn your into the ground and then I will return or what is he? dance in your sticky bones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sweet. Is, I'm gonna write now that one down for the I next want. parent teacher night. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whip that one out. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No sticky bones. But uh, so, and now we come to the part that I really, where I really have a problem with Denna. Okay. Because so. Lay it on me. So Kvothe wakes up. He's beat all to hell. Probably got a pretty major concussion. He's just killed a Dracus and saved a town. And the first thing he asks is where's Denna? Yep. He goes right downstairs and asks for a bottle of her favorite wine and goes barefoot. He doesn't even go get his shoes first, even though they're right on the roof. Goes barefoot to where she was to find her. All distraught. 
how did she must she have felt when she and she left did she come looking for him and he's all like oh she must have felt so abandoned and i'm like she knew there was a freaking dracus they were supposed to be killing that she passed out in the middle of like and she woke up there's no dead dracus so obviously something went wrong so does she just assume that both is like oh i was spooned you baby but see you later you know she wasn't like oh gee i wonder what happened to that guy i wonder if he's okay like no she just bailed you know well let me play a little bit of devil's advocate all right you don't really know what she did no, and we who you, knows where Mr. Ash, who knows? Correct, yeah. But at this point, for me, reading, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead, continue defending Dana. Well, I would say that the same, the same thoughts cross my mind because on one hand, I'm thinking, well, if he's in the inn, and she would probably suspect he's in the inn, but she would not want to go back to the inn given what had happened to her. So I can forgive her for not wanting to put her head in there and start, you know, and show her face. Like, so I can forgive her for that. Yeah, I guess I could see that. She, she could have left a message, found a way to get a message to him. Right. She, you know, he found a way to leave a note there in case she returned. She could have done something to the same effect. I guess I'm assuming she knows how to write, but no, she does. Well, no, she, she left note. him a note She before. left him a note, so she knows how to write. So I'm, agree- I'm agreeing with you in that regard. It, I thought it was strange, too, that she just kind of up and is like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, did she wake up and think, how much does she remember of what happened? You know, did she wake up and think, oh, fuck, he abandoned me? Or did she wake up and Master Ash was standing right there and going, what did you find out? Like, we, we really don't know. That's true. So I'll, I'll cut her a little bit of slack. I mean, w- are you suggesting that she really is not in love slash infatuated with Quoth and this is all an act? No, I'm suggesting that she's so self-centered that she did wake up and go, ugh. He left me. Like, not being like, oh, hey, maybe he had something else to do. Like, kill that dragon or whatever. Gee, I wonder if he's, like, dead. Well, the only thing I'll say about that is that she didn't act that way about the fire. I mean, that's true. But she also, you know... The fire in the fishery. That right, is, yeah. Know. And like she was cool when he ran into her again. Correct. But again, it's that walls up. Like, does she actually care about anybody? You know, obviously she has some sort of infatuation going on with him. But does she really deep down care about anybody but herself? Hard to say. It is hard to say. Yeah, don't and it, know. And it doesn't look good, you know, in my opinion, that she didn't even like find a way to, you know, they just went on this huge adventure and had all this bonding and he saved her life. Like, you know, he didn't have to do any of that. And she's just kind of like, Oh, he's not here. Okay. Laters. You know, it, it, that just, it really rubs me the wrong way. And, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a valid argument. I mean, I do think you need to be willing to, change your opinion if more evidence comes and pops up and says you know that's if there's an explanation for it i think you need to be willing to 
to kind of put that on hold and, and go with the new information. But based on what we've seen, I, I kind of agree with you. I Absolutely. And and part of what bothers me too is that Kvothe doesn't think that. That Kvothe is like, oh, I can't believe I did this to her. And it's like, what? Like, like what? I mean, one of the things that's, it, it, we, we again, we've talked about it before, but with Denna, because you don't get her perspective you don't really get her backstory. You nothing's really earned for her, but it also means that you don't know any of the motivations for why she does any of the things that she does. You know, you know why Quoth stood her up. You know why Quoth didn't respond to her note. You, you know, so you you can see why he does those things, but you can't see why she does the things that she does, you know. You see that Quoth goes to Imre all the time looking for her. Only once do you find her and Imre looking for him. And that's the time when Fela gives him, or Fela, because I, I can't say Fela, when Fela gives him the cloak and she's there. And come on, she was there looking for him. And she storms out because she sees something she doesn't like, you know. So you just can't really see her side of it. And that's what makes it so difficult because you don't know if she's really there for her own reasons or is she there because somebody's asking her to be there. Is she, does she, does she even like him at all? I mean, I tend to think she does. But is it just an infatuation or is it something deeper than that? No way of knowing. Yeah, I mean, and it, I don't think it's it's there's any doubt that she feels something for him but is she one of these people who's just so broken that they can't selflessly love anybody yeah hard to say you know and, and in my opinion that's the way that she acts like she's fine to play the little game and flirt and and do whatever but when it comes down to it she's going to take care of herself like she's not going to selflessly care for anyone else and so when you compare that with Quoth's character, who who does just pour out, no, no matter what he's been through in his life, pours out selfless love, you know, runs into danger. Um, so it's I, like, it's... I guess that's why the line, why her reaction to the dinner resin to me was such a telling thing. Because... I feel like if she was just strictly out for herself and only about taking care of herself and that was the only thing that mattered to her, especially when she was already high, she would have had no hesitation at saying, we're taking this dinner resin, we're going back to town, and we're going to live high on the hog for the next five years. Well, that's true. Off this dinner resin. But she doesn't. She's like, I've seen what that does to people. And she expresses some degree of human, basic human empathy. And care. No, that's true. So that's why that line, I think, was such a big deal to me. I think you may be right about her. I think she may be kind of infatuated with this kid, not really in any kind of careless, selfless love. How how they could really be in love? They're you know this is more like puppy love than anything else. But but I think you may be right. It may be a scenario where she isn't able to truly love she may be too broken but we don't know how she got that way 
It's true. And, and we, that and that's a big part of the problem. Yeah. And it I is. think why she yeah. is kind of an unlikable character for me. And for a lot of other people. At least two other people <laughs> that I've spoken to. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> so so after this is this is when he goes back to Imray. And he kind of walks back into Imray with his hat in his hand and that was sort of odd to me. How so? Chapter 83. So he, he goes back in and I don't know, maybe I need to read it again in more detail, but it just sort of seemed like, oh, and then I, and then I went back to the university and I had to apologize to a lot of people and it was all right, you know, okay, no big deal. And I'm thinking. It was sort of an odd little denouement, like not quite at the end of the book, but. Yeah. Yeah. It, and. I don't know. It just seems strange to me that like, you know, he doesn't go to the guys in charge of the, of the, you know, the, he doesn't go to any of the masters and say, explain any of the, like, he doesn't tell them any of the shit he found. Like, Oh, about the Chandrian? Well, well, that part doesn't shock me because I think he's, I think he'd be wise to not tell him about the Chandrian, but about the Dracus and where it's buried and why he, I mean, I, I, I don't know. On one hand, how do you explain why you up and left? He doesn't explain because the way this looks, so what happens is he gets, you know, we assume it's Ambrose who sent these thugs after him and he gets attacked by them and then he's gone for like five days. Right. But he doesn't explain to anybody that he got attacked. He doesn't explain to anybody about the fires and treatment. He doesn't explain to anybody about the dragus. He doesn't explain to anybody about the operation with somebody out there, you know, collecting massive quantities of dent, like huge quantity. Like he just killed a king. Like he just, you know, found a kingpin of dental resin for the whole region. You know, he doesn't tell anybody about any of that except for Will and Sims. Like that's it. I don't know why that bothers me, but well, it bothers you because it's weird and stupid, but it's also completely in keeping with his character, you know? And again, this is why I guess I'm willing to give Quoth a pass for things that I don't give Denna a pass for, because like knowing what he went through on the streets of Tarbian, first of all, when you live on the streets like that and you have those experiences with authority figures, where you get beat nearly to death just for walking on the wrong part of town. Like when people live like that, their first instinct is not to go to the authorities True about anything, you know? So even like, and so when it comes to like, Oh, would he, would he go to the local authorities and tell them about the dinner resin? Hell no. Well, no, that doesn't shock Hell me. Hell no. Yet. And for both, I think the idea of, is he going to go to Alexa Dahl and start trying to tell the story of why he went? And how does he talk to these these very brilliant masters without having them start to pick apart what he was looking for? Yeah, yeah no. You know? Yeah. And he seems very invested and doesn't even tell his closest friends what he was looking for. And... Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. when you see this character has learned to build these walls to protect himself, you know, the one time he's brought up talking about the Chandrian or the Amir, he's been smacked down. Shut down, yeah. And so I totally get why 
he would be reluctant to. Well, what did he tell Sim and Will? Sims and Will or Simon and, and Will? He told them the whole story except for the parts about the Chandrian. Okay, so he didn't tell them about any of the stuff that was found. He didn't right. tell. Okay, no, he they knew they knew that a student had been attacked, so they assumed he had been run out of town or was dead. Was killed. Yeah, you know, and so he told them that he went on the run, and then this whole thing happened with the Dracus. But how? How does? How do thirty people get murdered fifty miles away from? the center of all knowledge in the area and nobody at the university know about it or care? Well, we don't know whether they did or not. I'm assuming that they did. However, you have to remember that Kvothe was not tied to the murders at the wedding. You know, he is someone who showed up and killed a dragon afterwards. But I don't think anybody in the town tied him to that other than that he was looking for whatever happened there. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean, um, it's just, it's strange to me that, and to be fair, we we don't know everything, so. Exactly. But yeah. it seemed, but from what I can tell, it seems like nobody at the university knows about, cares about, hears about, bats an eye at the idea that 27 people got murdered at a wedding. Well, that's that we know of. Agreed, you that know, we know of. There it, may be something come up. That whatever we whatever the, the masters, who knows what their reactions, it's not like they're, they're confiding in Quoth. Hey, Quoth, you know. I, I mean... Master Lauren's got a giller who goes out and looks for books, quotation marks, you know, with a dagger and a sword at his hip. So it's probably, you know, and I'm not denying that that guy occasionally brings back the occasional book, but I tend to think there's more to the story than that. So maybe they do know about what's going on and they're just hush, hush about it. Right. Um, and, and we really don't know in this world how involved the university is with the outside world. We know there's a lot of mistrust. We know that true. when Kvothe does sympathy, even a little bit of sympathy in the town, he is, the people are terrified of him. So we don't know how connected the university is mm -hmm. with events or governments or anything like that. So again, that's just information that we don't have. And in this story, all we know is Quoth's experience. And Quoth's experience is, I just killed a huge dragon, lost my girlfriend again. Now I'm going to go back and try and pick up my life. Yeah. You know, and so that's kind of seems to be what he's centered on. He goes back, apologizes to his friends for disappearing, apologizes to his teachers, doesn't tell them the whole story yeah and just kind of goes back into his life but what i i i think part of this might be when we started talking about this and when we were talking about the chapter where Quoth leaves for traben you were predicting that this was going to get him kicked out of the university this was going to be kind of the big so you were expecting that kind of arc True. and so it is when he comes back and it's just like and then i went back to class well, it just, like, I mean, to be fair, 
in college, if you disappeared for four days and then just showed back up, nobody would bat an eye. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously his close friends batted an eye because they were, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, if you miss, miss a few classes in college, you don't get the third degree. You don't get your teachers being like, where were you really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's fair. I mean, it seemed to me like it would be a little bit different there because he's got a job in the fishery. He's got some responsibilities. So I don't, I don't always equate it to the typical college experience. But if you're going down that road, well, no. sure. And and it it certainly seems like his teachers weren't happy with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think he says that you know he knows when when the next term's tuitions are set, he's gonna. He's going to pay for this. So, so yeah, there will be a himself, consequence. He's shown himself to be flighty or unreliable. So, um, so there's that. But again, yeah, I mean, it seems like this was a big, huge, epic adventure, but really less than a week, you know? So he kind of took off and came back and didn't tell anybody where he went. He's got to be exhausted. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he comes back all beat to hell. Four days. At least he brought his shoes back. <laughs> At least he was able to pay off a chunk of his loan to Debbie. Yes. I mean, not all of it, but... Yes. At least a chunk of it. Yep. All right. Are we are we done with that section? We're done. Okay. Predictions? Predict it up. Okay. All right. So I wrote down some stuff, um, some predictions here. So one thing I... Th- I thought, and I, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't know if it's true. I feel like the the fact that Denna was asked to show up to the wedding and play the Lear, Lyra, Lyra, Liar, thank you, goodness, thank you. Um, I should have known that. That she was asked to show up and play the Liar. I feel like that was not just a throwaway thing. And like I was wondering if somehow the Liar might somehow be a clue into who Master Ash is. Don't know. Maybe because she's a liar. So maybe. She's like, play this liar. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So one of the other ones, I was looking back and um, while we were actually you know, going through here and talking, I was trying to go back into one of the other chapters and figure out the name of the town that Celatos lived in, the city... Mir Terrenial? Mir Terrenial, yeah. yeah. So I think, and this is super tinfoily, that Traban is built on the remains of Mir Terrenian. Oh, that's a very good thought. That's a very good theory. I like it. So that's my um, that's my tinfoil hat theory there. And then Moteth. Okay, so she whispers the name Motith. Now, to your point, Denna has known probably hundreds or thousands of people that we don't know, so that name could be anything, right? Except that Patrick Rothfuss didn't put that in there for nothing. Right. So it means something. Now, the most obvious answer is that Motith is Master Ash. That's the most obvious. Oh, I, that was not obvious to me. Oh, okay. That is a very astute thought. 
that that's because she would know his name. She does. She does know his name. Huh. That's a good thought. So that's the most immediate one, but I'm gonna go against the grain, and I'm gonna say that that's a misdirect. That he put that out there for you to think that that's Master Ash. Right. But that it's really going to be somebody else who's going to show up later. So that's my prediction there. Okay. Okay, so those are all my predictions. For me, I thought Moteth was going to be someone from her past, a brother, or a relative of some kind. That's kind of where I was thinking or an ex-lover who shows up or something like that. Something from her way past, you know, because she's so out of it, you know, and he's waking her up and she's kind of like, you know, at her most unguarded, you know. So that's what I, I, if I had to guess, I would say Moteth was her brother. It's a good guess. I like that guess, yeah. Thank you. So that's kind of where I was, I mean, to me, I, I felt like it was, he was trying to get you to think that that's the name of Master Ash, mm. but I was going to go with the no. It's a wrist, it's a misdirect, and it's actually further back than that. Yeah. So I think we're along the same lines there. I think it's a good guess. Okay, so we actually have um, have some fan interaction. Oh, get out of town! I know, right? So uh, two pieces of interaction from someone on Twitter who goes by the handle No Direction, and it's no direction underscore is the handle and there were two uh things that he or she gave us two pieces of information one was a website that they directed us to which is uh let me see if i can find it here i'm of course i'm missing it but i believe it's literature.stackexchange.com backslash the king killer chronicles it's a it's kind of a discussion board for people discussing the king killer chronicles not one that Ooh, i knew of i like those yeah, so I actually said that I would pass that information on to you because I went on there to check the link and I didn't, it was one of those things where I like, I looked at it and I was like, spoiler, spoiler. You know, I didn't read anything or anything that spoiled mm-hmm. me. I think I saw a name that I didn't recognize and I was like, ah, oh, don't go Did here. Did you read that Quilth didn't actually burn down the town of Draven? I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't. Um, oh, that's awesome. I'll check that out. So, yeah. So I figured I would pass that on to you because I'm not going to go on there. And then the other was he said, he or she said, what is the point of all these, well, they're not flashbacks, but the interludes where we're in the quote present, unquote. You know, and that was the question that that uh, they posed to us. What's the point of it? So I figured we could talk about that. I mean, I have what I think is a fairly simple and straightforward answer. Yeah, lay it on me. I mean, to me, it seems like, and actually I think I got this from you, is that the reason why we have all these interludes back to the present time is because eventually at the end of the third book or somewhere in the third book, the timelines are going to kind of come together or what's been going on is going to become relevant to what's going on in the present time that the war, something like that, is going to become relevant. That this, that the end arc of the story is not going to, you know, we're not going to end the third book and it's going to be something that happened 10 years ago that doesn't have any bearing on what's going on today. I don't, right. be, I don't buy that. Right. I think somehow these kind of two timelines are going to collide. 
Well, yeah, the way the narrative is set up um, is so interesting because we already know that at least as far as the flashback story, there's not a happy ending. So it it casts this kind of tragic pall over the whole story that you wouldn't get if you were just following him from his childhood on, you know, chronologically. Oh, and then he spent some time as an innkeeper. You know, it it does something interesting to the story. So and you forget about it when he gets well into the flashback story. But mm-hmm. every now and then you'll remember like, oh, yeah, this doesn't end with him being a conquering hero or maybe it will eventually but this ends with him failing horribly killing a king of some kind and withering away in an inn so you kind of know oh he's not going to end up with denna there's going to be some disaster there um you know that from the outset and it does it 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 pulls at your emotions differently it gives just a poignancy i feel like to the whole story and that's one of the things that i think makes this book so so fascinating and so rich. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so we thank we thank No Direction underscore for that interaction, and keep it coming. Absolutely, we like it. We like talking about this stuff, which is why we do it, right? And then a little bit of fandom news. Which fandom? Oh, all the fandoms. There's so many. So a couple of items here. So first one is that Sony is doing a standalone Venom movie, which I did not know, the Spider-Man Venom. Oh, okay. And Venom is going to be played by Tom Hardy. Okay. (laughs) Who? Well, there's going to be a lot of chicks going to see that movie. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) <laughs> There's going to be a lot of meaningful so stares. So many chicks all of a sudden into Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing wrong with that. Tom Hardy is interesting to me because I've seen some acting from Tom Hardy that I thought was amazing. And I've seen some acting from Tom Hardy that I thought was so wooden <laughs> like that I just... Like, it was just that was terrible. Like mm-hmm. I have I haven't seen anything of Tom Hardy that was anywhere in between. It was right. it was either brilliant or piss poor. Like there's... So how do you think he'll do as Venom? I mean he's gotta wear a mask a lot, so you know what? I think it's gonna flop. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't uh, he could surprise me. I don't I've never thought of Tom Hardy as being a particularly physical actor. But I yeah, that, and that's kind of where I really follow his work that much. So well, I don't the, know. I've seen a couple th- him in a couple things that were really good. In um, he plays what is my absolute favorite role in Peaky Blinders. I know you haven't seen Peaky Blinders. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. It's good. Um, but he plays this one character in Peaky Blinders that I just think is so brilliant, and he just does such a good job in that particular role. And I thought there was a show we were trying to watch. I wish I could remember the name of it. The one where he comes back to America, where he was, yeah, or or to England, rather, and he owns the Taboo. Taboo, yeah, right. And he wants to do it to his sister. And yeah. I so wanted to- That one to, didn't catch me. I so wanted to like that show. And he's trying to play a similar type of character in that, but it just doesn't work. 
in that show. Yeah, that show didn't work for me. I found it hard to understand, like literally to understand the dialogue. I feel like they they wrote and tried to speak in a very historically authentic way. But for me, it was just hard to understand. Like, what's going on? Okay, I get that he wants to boink his sister, but I don't really get much else, <laughs> you know. But for me, the, watching that show turned me on to um, a, a similar show called Frontier that dealt with a similar time period. Was that the one with uh, Jason Momoa? With Jason Momoa. That show was excellent. I know you watched like the first one with me, but I, I feel like you needed, you needed yeah. to kind of watch a number of them to get into it. And then it was a short season. Like there's only six episodes, but I'm really looking forward to where, you know, the next season of it. Um, I think it was a really, a, it was a slow starter. It was kind of a slow burn to start off, but really an excellent ensemble piece. Like uh, I, I enjoyed opinion. what I saw. I, I, it didn't obviously capture me enough for me to finish watching it, but yeah, and I mean, it could have been like this Jason Momoa star vehicle, uh, you know. Oh, thank God so, it wasn't. But it, but it wasn't. <laughs> it, it really wasn't. It was a, it was, it was pretty good storytelling, in my opinion. It was one of my favorite yeah, I, of my new shows that I've seen. I don't recently. have anything against Jason Momoa, but when Jason Momoa is a part of like an ensemble cast, he's good. Yeah, and he he he's really not a, he going to lead a show though. He carried that part pretty well, though. So I'd be surprised. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you think of him, you think he's all eyebrows and, and pecs, but, <laughs> you know. I feel like most people would have went straight for the pecs, but I appreciate that you went straight for the eyebrows. <laughs> like, I like that. I like that. Speaking of television shows, Netflix is working on another original that's supposed to come out this summer, and it's going to be called The Defenders. And it's going to have Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and Iron Fist. All on one show. So I guess we have to talk about Iron Fist. I don't know who the hell Iron Fist is. He's, so that destroys my nerd cred, but whatever. It was, it was, I don't know. Like, I, I wasn't like a big fan of that those comics or anything before the show, the show itself was pretty much a flop, mm -hmm. kind of a disappointment as far as compared to Daredevil and Jessica Jones, especially just really awesome. Awesome. TV. I love and Jessica Luke Jones. Cage was yeah. pretty good. And, and so, yeah, it's Luke pretty Cage exciting. was not well received though. It was, I still thought it was really good. I didn't watch it. So um, I can't, can't comment. So, um, great soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and I love Luke Cage. The character is one of my favorite comic book characters. But yeah, um, I'm excited for that show. I, I think it's going to be going to be awesome. Daredevil gotcha. is one of my favorites. And this is not really there. news because apparently I'm the only one who didn't know this. But Kimmy Schmidt season three is out, and yes, I can't it believe is. and I can't believe I haven't watched the entire thing already. I know. I love that show. It's a, it's a, the best comedy on television. It's it's pretty good. So I just found that out today, in fact, and mm -hmm. I was really disappointed in myself that I haven't already watched the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So not news for anybody else, but it was news for me. Mm -hmm. So And one last piece of, of information, and that is that Michael Van Gerwen beat out Peter Wright for the PDC Championship 11 to 10, and Peter Wright had six darts at a double to win the whole thing and couldn't pull it off. Oh, he was up against the machine though. I know. What are you going to do? Van Gerwen, like 
You can't stop that. I don't know. He's that steely gaze. <laughs> I think he just gets into people's heads. I think he does get into people's heads. I had a lot. This was a good year for Peter Wright. I had a lot. He won his first major. I had a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff going on for, for Peter Wright. I think he might be becoming my favorite darts player. We're talking about darts. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not nerdy. <laughs> it's a different kind of nerdy, sweetheart. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Um, so that is, that's all I have. That's all I have, too. <sighs> Feels good, doesn't it? It does. We are just a few chapters from the end of this book. I am so excited. I'm excited as well. You know, usually at this point in a book, you kind of feel like you know how these last few chapters are going to play and out. you have no idea. I have idea. no idea. Like, <laughs> what the hell is going to happen? What, I don't know what is going <laughs> on. I love it. I, really I love don't. it. I love the unconditional. Um, Untraditional. Narrator, narrator. What did I say? You said unconditional. Unconditional. And maybe that's what I you meant. I don't know. <laughs> love it unconditionally. Okay. <laughs> the non-traditional narrative. Yeah, yeah. And I it's, love it. It's that, and you know what? I tend to, I tend to really love those things as well. Of course, I'm in the middle of it now, so I'm like, what right. the hell's going on? But right. To me, there's. N I don't want to say there's nothing worse than, but. I really enjoy and appreciate a book because as we talked about, I don't read quickly. So if I'm going to invest my time in something, I really don't want it to be formulaic. Now, don't get me wrong. I've read formulaic stuff that I enjoyed. Um, so that's not the end all be all, but, but I appreciate it when somebody can play around with the format and, and what you expect. I think that's one of the reasons why I loved the OA so much that show the OA that we watched is because they really kind of play around with a lot of your expectations, especially early in the series. Right. You know, and I think that's why I fell in love with it so much. On the other hand, another TV show that I really loved and fell in love with right away was stranger things and stranger things is pretty predictable. So it's like, it's not a prerequisite, but I do really enjoy it when and Winona Ryder, I mean, don't talk about Winona. I'm, no, not at all. I'm saying you have a soft spot for Winona. I do kind of have a soft spot for Winona. It's true. Although I didn't know she was in it until I actually started watching it. Mm. You know. And then, I, of course, then I couldn't turn it off. Of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So You have Winona. I have Jason Momoa's eyebrows. <laughs> it's okay. We all got our it things. It still works. <laughs> it works for us. <laughs> so... So if we're ever at a party and Winona Ryder's there and Jan Jason Momoa's eyebrows are sitting on the couch. <laughs> no questions will be asked. No <laughs> I mean, his pecs can be off talking to some other girl. <laughs> Just get you the guy liner. <laughs> we can make some stuff happen. <laughs> All right. So the next time we get together, we'll be talking about the end of the book. Wow. I'm so excited to hear hear all your thoughts and I'm excited all, all to read it. Stuff. Yeah. I'm not gonna read it tonight though. No. 
It's late. It's late. Okay. Oh my gosh, it's so late. I just looked at the clock. Oh, why did you do? You can't do that until after we turn the recorder off. Oh, jeez. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> good night, everybody. All right. Good Bye-bye. night. Bye. Bye.